Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, dressing for extreme heat. It's not as simple as wearing as little as possible, especially depending on your work or if you have to go to court or a wedding. And many of the fabrics that are best at cooling aren't climate or cost friendly either. We'll talk about the surprising complications and trade-offs of dressing for our warming climate. And we want to hear what clothing choices worked for you during the heat wave. Tell us after this news. I'm Mina Kim. Welcome to Forum. Climate change is touching every part of our lives, including the clothes we wear. In the last five years, sales of shorts and sandals climbed, while fleece and outerwear fell, reports the New York Times' Christopher Flavel. And the industry has taken notice, offering up more clothing that promises to cool, breathe, or wick away sweat. But do they work? This hour, we'll look at where our clothes are going and where our culture is going as we try to cope with the effects of climate change. And joining us is Christopher Flavel, climate adaptation reporter for The New York Times. Christopher, thanks so much for uh, inspiring today's show with your piece. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Sarah Everts is also with us, author of The Joy of Sweat, The Strange Science of Perspiration, which we actually had Sarah on for before and was a great book. Sarah Everts, it's really great to have you back. It's great to be here. So we in California have been in a very long heat wave uh, where for the first time, I have to say, I really struggled to stay cool. I tried to wear as little as possible, as loosely as possible, while not being completely inappropriate for work and after-school pickups. And Christopher, of course, as you point out immediately in your story, that is one way on a very basic level to stay cool, right? To wear less? Yeah, it's almost the intuitive response, right? I'm wearing shorts right now. I, I happen to think shorts are comfortable and, you know, don't wear long sleeve shirts. I don't have to. But at some level, as experts pointed out to me for this story, that only goes so far, right? Yeah. For one obvious reason is sun exposure, uh, but also many of us don't work in office environments where it makes sense to be in shorts and t-shirts. 
Yeah. And Sarah, in terms of just the intuitive response of wearing as little as possible, it's because the body deals with heat by allowing bare skin to sweat and evaporate, right? I mean, can you give us a mini science lesson on how we stay cool? Yeah, sure. So um, humans have this amazing (laughs) ability, uh, better than almost any other animal in the animal kingdom to stay cool. And we do it by effectively evaporating our body heat away with sweat. So um, just like you would uh, kind of cook down uh, reduction in the kitchen, um, your body heat, your skin is hot. And when you dispatch water to it through sweat glands, um, that heat of your skin effectively cooks away the heat and and that evaporation process of the sweat takes the heat from the skin of your body and and the inside of your body out into the atmosphere in a way and uh you know we are the naked ape and that and that means we've got a lot of amazing real estate to do this cooling and so yeah that urge to take your clothes off when you're really hot really does make sense because you're effectively creating more real estate for for cooling But yeah, as you point out, Christopher, obviously there are limitations to that uh, if you're going to work or we pointed out in our billboard, if you're going to court or just observing cultural or religious traditions, or if you work all day out in the sun, there's going to be limitations to taking your clothes off. I'm actually curious before we jump into some of the ways that we're trying to address them, what it's like at the New York Times, Christopher, can you wear shorts and flip-flops there? <laughs> you know, we, we've all been mostly working from home for the last two plus years. I don't recall, though, pre-COVID, ever seeing a colleague arrive at the office in shorts. I don't know. Once once we go back, maybe that's changed. I suspect that as, as much as everything in the world has been upended, I suspect we probably still will not wear shorts to the office. That's just my <laughs> What what about you, Sarah? You are also a professor of digital science journalism, I believe, on top of being a sweat expert. So what do you wear to work when it's hot in Ottawa? Well, yesterday is a perfect case in point. It was really warm. But, you know, I'm also trying to uh, aspire to some professorial gravitas. So, (laughs) you know, I like to go and lecture in uh, a jacket. But um, when the queen passed away yesterday, I was in the middle of a hundred person lecture and uh, the surge of alerts effectively took down the power at our university. And suddenly we were all in the dark, which means the AC was off. And I was forced to lecture with, uh, you know, my uh, flashlight off my iPhone, but it you know, the AC went off and, and, you know, what did I want to do? I wanted to rip off that jacket because it was way too hot. Um, so, yeah, I also struggle. You want, you want to, you know, look professional, um, but gosh, sometimes it's just way too hot to do so. Right. So enter the need to look professionally dressed, but keep cool at the same time. And Christopher, obviously there are places with very hot climates outside the U.S. that we can look to for lessons on this, right? Yeah, and if, if you spent time in, I mean, the places that come to mind first for me are North Africa and South Asia, and in both places you've got cultures where it's not unusual to wear long uh, garments uh, that cover the skin and also are a bit loose to allow for sort of more air circulation between the skin and the garment. It, you know, I think at a high level, it's fair to say that it's not a look that has really caught on yet. 
in the US or in Canada, uh, that could change. The focus of the story was more, uh, unless and until we have those sort of really big shifts in sort of fashion expectations in this country, there are already smaller shifts happening in the meantime. Mm, yeah. So what are some of those smaller shifts? You know, the, the real focus that came out of my reporting in this story is the focus on fabrics and using different fabrics, different blends of fabrics, and trying to find those that can have sort of the sweet spot between great breathability or better breathability, uh, some sweat wicking, though that's problematic, as we might discuss, and also sun protection, right? It, it My sense from reporting the story is that the fit of our garments, the sort of the shift potentially towards looser fitting garments to get better airflow between the skin and the cloth is not as much as a focus yet among designers. My guess is that the idea is you want to make garments that are more breathable, more comfortable in the heat, while having as little effects as possible on sort of the silhouette, on how it looks on your body. And that's, I think, just the sort of the, the least change that you can do while still trying to make people more comfortable in the heat. Wow, that's so interesting because, Sarah, I can imagine that loose clothing is a really great way to try to cool down, but but maybe it depends on the kind of heat that you're in. Yeah, actually it does. So um, effectively, I think many of us notice that when it's really humid outside, um, it's actually really harder to cool down. And that's because uh, if you can imagine that the, the way that we're, we're cooling down, the physics of it requires um, us to be pushing water molecules off of our skin surface and into the air. Well, if it's super humid out, then there's already a lot of air of water molecules floating around in the air. And if you remember from high school chemistry, but you, know, you don't have to, uh, there's like this, it, it's harder to get more water molecules up and off of your skin and into the air if it's already really humid, if there's already a ton there. And so when it's humid weather, you want to have uh, as few bits of clothing on your skin as possible because you need to have all that real estate, all that skin available for, for pushing as many of those water molecules up and into that humid air as, as you can, even though there's this kind of back pressure um, against that. And uh, for that kind of situation, what you really, really need is um, kind of mesh. You need to have fabric that has space um, in between the fibers to let that evaporation happen. And, and you need that evaporation to be happening as close to the skin as possible. So you need a really thin fabric. And you know what we were talking about before with um, people in kind of desert or, or Middle Eastern um, countries, yeah, you know, or drier they, heat like here in drier heat, yeah. yeah. Um, in that situation, um, you've got competing interests, right? You also want to protect your skin from the UV rays. Um, Sometimes people want to protect their skin from insects in, in other dry heats. And there, you don't have that competition from the humidity in the air, right? There is not this back pressure. And so quite honestly, um, in that situation, uh, you know, th these kind of loose garments are okay because um, you don't mind. It's not like there's a, a back pressure of humidity pushing back. You can 
afford to have a little bit of, of loose fitting um, air where you're not going to have like a super dense amount of humidity pressing back because it's so dry, all those water, water molecules are, are just being pulled out um, far away. But you, you might want uh, to, to be covering yourself with, with a bit of garments uh, against the sun. But in terms of just like staying cool, you always want to have as much real estate, skin real estate out and present. But another competing interest is what if you don't have a lot of water um, and, you know, folks in desert areas like in California, you, you don't want to carry, you know, eight gallons of water with you all the time. And, and the more your skin is exposed, the more immediately that sweat evaporates away. And so if you're wearing a loose fitting garment, you're kind of keeping a little bit of the humidity close to you so that the sweat evaporation is going slower and so that you can make more efficient use of, the, of that water. Because as soon as that water evaporates away, you're going to need to drink some more uh, to replenish mm those precious bodily fluids. So an argument to have your skin loosely covered, if you don't want to have to deal with constantly having to rehydrate or have access to being able to rehydrate. Huh. Exactly. We're talking with Sarah Evans. Associate Professor and Chair in Digital Science Journalism at Carleton University, also author of The Joy of Sweat, The Strange Science of Perspiration. We're also talking with Christopher Flavel, a climate adaptation reporter for The New York Times. His piece that inspired today's show is called Dressing for Hot, How a Warming Planet is Changing What We Wear, which is exactly what we're talking about, how the warming planet is changing what we wear, but also the surprising complications that come up as we are trying to determine what to wear based on the heat that's outside. And so listeners, I am really curious to know what clothes worked for you during the heat wave, or did you find it unexpectedly hard to find, you know, that sweet spot? Or if you have questions about what our guests are talking about in terms of dressing for heat or about the uh, cooling garments that are starting to become more and more uh, on store shelves, you can do so by emailing forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum, or you can call us 866-733-6786. 866-733-6786. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Here's what we're talking about Monday. Historian Peniel Joseph says the U.S. is in the midst of a third reconstruction, a period of racial progress that began with the election of President Obama and persists through the rise of Trumpism and even racist violence. We'll find out why Joseph thinks we could see racial justice in our lifetimes. Today, we're talking about how climate change is affecting our lives, all the way to the clothes we wear and how the industry is responding with more clothing designed to cool. We're talking with climate adaptation reporter Christopher Flovell of The New York Times, and we're talking with Sarah Everts, who wrote a book called The Joy of Sweat, The Strange Signs of Perspiration. We're taking your questions about clothing and cooling and finding out what worked for you during this heat wave. You're telling us at 866-733-6786 on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. And by emailing forum, let me go quickly to Paul in San Lorenzo. Hi, Paul. Hello. <clears throat> How are you? I'm well. Uh, my question is, I've seen indications uh, that some folks in the Middle East or in other desert regions can wear black uh, uh, clothes, and uh, it doesn't increase their body temperature. It's actually... a, a somehow cools it. Do your mm. guests know how that's done? Now, let me go to Sarah on that. Thanks, Paul. Why Thank often we see dark clothes, people living in very hot climates or desert climates, Sarah? Well, I think that um, mostly the, the important thing, though, is the, the long clothing, the fact that there's a lot of air in between the skin and, you know, the next layer out. Um, I'm not sure there's been a lot of done. I mean, black usually absorbs uh, sun, right? So if you have darker hair, uh, you want to be wearing a hat because uh, you'll get a sunstroke. So I'm not sure about that. I think most of the reasons um, people wear kind of large loose garments in the Middle East is, is just to have that kind of like buffer of air in between so that you don't have to drink as much water because that that evaporated sweat isn't being whisked away as fast. But perhaps Christopher has a, a thought on that. Well, Christopher, your thought on that. And also just once again, reiterating that, yes, people have been able to make adaptations to climate in a lot of ways using natural fibers. But of course, we are in this technological age. And so as you point out, designers are really trying to solve this problem or trying to cool us off with technology and, and, and incorporating that into the way that we really think about our clothes. Yeah, that was the big takeaway for me was there are many different ways of constructing something as simple as a t-shirt, right? And I tried on many of them for the story. <laughs> and, and there are there are genuinely some garments that you can buy that the second you put it on your skin, you'll feel an effect. Now, they don't all last and they don't all work the same degree and some of them are very expensive. But what struck me was you know, call this the magic of technology. There's a lot of interesting work being done with not just fabrics, but also using different styles of design and construction to increase ventilation in the fabric. And the result makes a difference. I should just stress, uh, you know, we're talking about differences at the margins, right? If you're out in a day that is 105 degrees, 110 degrees, the clothing you wear will only help so much, uh, but I think the reason that this stuff is important is because even a difference, uh, a perceived difference of a degree or two can make a difference in heat that otherwise feels unbearable. I'm curious about some of the innovations. Like you, wasn't there a company that is 
infusing jeans with like crushed bits of jade? <laughs> yeah, one of one of the many, you know, the joy of this story was I would get these samples and I'd look at them and I'd read what was in them. I think, how is this gonna work? And then I'd try them on and think, oh, you know what? That kind of works or or kind of doesn't. I did try a pair of jade infused denim. <laughs> it seemed like it made a small difference, though that could have been a minor placebo effect. But those seem those seem worth pursuing. There's another, there's a shirt that I mentioned in the story that's made out of what is the same polymer we use to make plastic bags. And you wouldn't think that would be a promising material for making a cooling t-shirt, and yet it feels very cooling. It actually is one of the one of the garments that I tried that I like the most. So maybe you have some advice for John. John in San Leandro, your question? Well, not a question so much, just a recommendation. Oh. Um, I've been buying I've been buying uh, used polyester workout shirts at thrift stores for years now because they're ubiquitous. But I buy them in large instead of the medium-sized T-shirts that I usually wear. And the best recommendation I can make um, as a former ski patroller and so on is, is that for most temperatures and for a lot of sweat output, get rid of cotton. Um, I wear nylon boxer briefs, and they're much more comfortable than cotton or cotton blend ones uh, in the heat because they get rid of a lot of sweat. And the less humidity you have on your skin, the more comfortable you are, as your as one of your uh, guests mentioned earlier. Yeah. And then. Yeah. Well, thanks, John. Um, I think what's interesting is, well, first of all, thanks for the tip. But I also think what's interesting is, Christopher, you point out that it's also the weave. Like maybe cotton is not, not that comfortable, but if it's woven in a certain way to allow more space that it provides better ventilation? It does. I just want to note, again, one of the points that jumped out at me from doing this story is comfort, being comfortable, feeling comfortable is not always synonymous with staying cool, right? I agree with the caller in general. I don't feel comfortable if I'm out in the heat and, and the clothing I'm wearing is sweaty and sticking to me. Uh, but as Sarah noted, you know, that sweat evaporation plays a purpose that is separate from feeling comfortable, which is cooling your body. So mm. you're absolutely right. Polyester does a great job wicking sweat off your body. It doesn't, I find in reporting the story, it doesn't do a great job at keeping you cool. Whereas there are some cotton garments, especially higher end cotton, that can do a better job keeping you cool, but they'll still get damp. I mean, it's the classic case of, as with everything in adapting to climate change, there's no perfect answer. There's no option that will check all the boxes. Yeah. Well, I want to bring someone into the conversation now who is really studying this deeply. It is Conrad Rykacheski. Uh Conrad Rykacheski is an associate professor in the School for Engineering of Matter, Transport, and Energy and senior global futures scientist at Arizona State University. Conrad, thanks so much for being with us. It's a pleasure to be here. And I understand that you are really looking at how our adaptation for climate change will involve personal cooling garments, and that you were motivated to look into this for other reasons, other personal reasons, besides just our warming planet. Can you share what else motivated you? 
Absolutely. So I moved to Phoenix nine years ago, and one of the aspects is, you know, it's extremely hot here. Um, you're talking about temperatures of uh, 100 plus. We call that a uh, cold front in the summer. So uh, past that, there's also um, a number of um, groups in the society that are more vulnerable to heat. Um, example can be individuals with multiple sclerosis. Um, and I happen to have uh, somebody who got diagnosed with that in my family about uh, six years ago. And one of the very common um, aspects of uh, MS is that uh, individuals are very heat vulnerable. So uh, some of the symptoms that they have may be exacerbated temporarily by even a minor increase in their core temperature. So if you look at uh, cooling clothing, right, there is a variety of those, and they can be a little bit distinguished from the clothes we talked about so far that uh, aim to make you feel more comfortable, uh, but do not really provide a physical removal of the heat. So there is a category of uh, garments that have some kind of a physical mechanism. For example, you can think of ice melting or you actually add water to them and they absorb it, sort of like a diaper, and they evaporate for a longer period of time. So these are available. You can buy them on Amazon. And if you look at the reviews, about one-third um, come from people who have MS. And uh, just through personal connection, I've been uh, connected to a number of individuals that uh have this condition in the Phoenix area. So we, you know, I heard these informal reviews and uh, a lot of them are not very good. Uh, they could be improved, I think, in many ways. So that motivated me to start looking at it. I'm a thermal engineer, so this works well. <laughs> yeah, and I, I love the distinctions that you and Christopher are drawing, uh, as well as Sarah, on the difference between clothes that make you feel comfortable and clothes that actually really do cool you down. So if you're a consumer who's looking for the latter, not not just to be comfortable, but actually needs clothes that will cool you down, what should you be looking for, Conrad? What types of uh, materials? Like, can you readily determine that when you're online or, or looking through racks of clothing? There are uh, multiple routes, and it depends what you're doing and what you are comfortable with, um, and also how much you, you want to wear. Um, so, for example, there are a lot of garments where you essentially uh, are wearing a material that changes face. So it might uh, it's frozen and it's going to melt. Um, now, some of the clothes that Christopher mentioned in his story uh, do have a very small amount of these in, in form of macro capsules, uh, but they're still in the form of a t-shirt, so there's not that much of it. So they're, they're great for, for example, keeping you comfortable as you walk from your air conditioner car and say 115 degrees to your air conditioner office. In that 10-minute period, they're melting and they keep you actually cooler. If you want to stay out longer, if you want to or have to, right? Those are, that's uh, that's another thing. Let's not forget. There's there are a lot of people who have jobs who are outdoor. Uh, you can buy a garment that essentially has larger packets of it, and we're talking. You know, we're starting to talk a uh, couple extra pounds. And those, uh, as they melt, if you keep them close to your body, they do a great job of uh, removing the heat from you, 
as well as the environmental heat that uh, you're exposed to. So at the same time, if you put one of these on, uh, there's an enormous difference if you stay in the sun or stay in the shade, right? Because that heat that is getting removed by the melting process um, is finite. So if you're adding more heat by staying in the sun, or let's say the garment is black, um, then the couple extra pounds you're wearing uh, will last much shorter than if you're mitigating the heat uh, in other worlds too. Mm. Chris, how accessible or affordable did you find some of these sort of higher technological solutions <laughs> or more technological solutions? Yeah, there was a real range. I found in, in general, in general, not always, but in general, the cheaper stuff performed more poorly. Uh, and the better stuff was more expensive. And, you know, like take something as sort of pedestrian as a suit, right? I, I went to Suit Supply, a, a men's supplier, and uh, tried on suits. And you can get, if you're somebody who has to wear a suit, you can get a wool suit for less than $500. But if you want to get a much more breathable suit that is made from a blend of silk and linen and cashmere, other materials, it should be twice that much. I think that's sort of a good rule of thumb. You're looking at a big difference even the same applies to t-shirts the t-shirts i tried that i liked the most were in the 50 dollars range uh, i tried some that were in the 15 or 20 dollars range and promised to cool but really were not nearly as effective so there's no way around it at least for now if you want stuff that has more of an effect it's going to cost you and so i mean that obviously sarah raises equity concerns immediately right who can access the kinds of clothes that will be best at cooling you down yeah, I mean, as much as I am a huge science nerd, and I am, um, often tech solutions are not cheap. And, you know, most of the populations most vulnerable to climate change, speaking both globally, but also in terms of socioeconomic status here in the US and, and in Canada, these folks are not in a financial position to fork out hundreds of dollars for, um, you know, fancy high tech fabrics. But, you know, there's this other trade off issue that I think is kind of important to raise too. And that is, you know, ultimately, we're trying to adapt to climate change. Um, and if, you know, we have the environment in mind, then maybe we want to think about also the environmental impact of these textiles that we're, we're using. And, you know, that speaks to looking at the source. So, you know, is it a cotton plant? So how much water was used? Is it a synthetic polymer? Those are made from fossil fuels. Um, or what about production? You know, how much energy or water or um, solvents that pollute the environment were used to turn, you know, whatever the building blocks were into a nice, soft, fancy fabric. And then, you know, ultimately end of life. Is it biodegradable? Um, is it seem fancy at the source, right? Like there's a lot of fleece made from recycled uh, plastic bottles. That sounds awesome, except uh, when you think about the effluence. So when you're washing the, those fleeces regularly, cause you know, you're hot and sweaty in them. So they get a little stinky. Um, the lint that comes off, this is a form of plastic pollution that is getting through um, water treatment plants and, and into the ocean and being eaten by uh, fish that ultimately end up on our dinner tables. Um, and by eating these little plastic lints, their, their stomachs are being filled in, in ways that, um, you know, interfere with their reproduction and, and other biological things. So I, I just feel like also, you know, I, I love, I love a fancy tech solution, but also I think there's so many ways to look at this. And, and as 
both um, the other two folks on on here have said, you know, there's so many trade-offs and there is no one panacea. Um, and, and depending on what you care about, um, you kind of have to trade off something. Yeah. It does feel like, Conrad, that synthetics or those kinds of materials or materials derived from fossil fuels, for example, are what are being found to be more cooling. Are you finding technological solutions that do not use such environmentally harmful or potentially environmentally harmful products? I think there are. I mean, let's keep in mind that a lot of these materials are already in use. Um, and I mean, one benefit might be that, uh, as Chris said, you know, a lot of the breathable shirts, they need to be as thin as possible. So maybe we're minimizing the amount of material in it too. But I think it's, it is very important to keep in mind what is going into the material, right? So as we're working on uh, some kind of, uh, uh, you know, interesting uh, nanoparticle that might help uh, make the shirt a little bit more breathable or conductive or something along these lines, um, we do try to keep in mind that it might end up in a landfill down the road. I just wanted to pitch in per the affordability. The, I think, underappreciated uh type of garment that can be very affordable, and we're talking about $20, are uh, evaporative garments. So these are the ones that try you add water to try to replace the sweat loss you, you have. Um, and they have a material that's biodegradable and uh, sometimes even cellulose that just absorbs a lot of water. And they can cost about $20, $30. Uh, the disadvantage is that they can leak water, so <laughs> you can be a little bit wet. But if that's the only option you have for cooling yourself, uh, especially in a dry climate, they work pretty well. We're talking with Konrad Rykacheski, Associate Professor and Senior Global Future Scientist at Arizona State University. Sarah Everts is with us, author of The Joy of Sweat, The Strange Science of Perspiration, also Associate Professor and Chair in Digital Science Journalism at Carleton University. Christopher Flavel, Climate Adaptation Reporter for The New York Times. And you, our listeners, are sharing your thoughts about clothing that works and where clothing should go. Caroline writes, as a woman, it's really hard to buy non-revealing tank tops or lightweight shirts, especially as someone who has had a mastectomy. A few years ago, I started making my own top so that during hot times of the mm -hmm. year, I could be comfortable. I do hope the clothing manufacturers start making better clothes for women so you can wear a lightweight top that isn't super revealing or dependent on having a bra underneath. Another listener tweets, It is difficult being a gardener these days, especially when the company organization requires a uniform, typically long, heavy pants, heavy work boots, etc., there needs to be new standards and mandatory uniforms for outdoor workers. We'll talk more about clothing for a warming climate after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about how climate change is affecting the clothes we wear and the challenges and trade-offs of dressing for a warmer world with The New York Times' Christopher Flavel, with Arizona State University's Conrad Rykacheski, and Carleton University's Sarah Everts. You, our listeners, are also weighing in with your questions and comments. Let me get to more of those right away. Robin. Hi, Robin. Hi, how are you? I'm well. What would you like to say? Yeah, I might have missed part of um, what was said, so it might have already been touched upon. But just in listening to uh, the conversation about climate change and clothing, I just thought it would be uh, a miss to not touch upon the uh, contribution that the clothing industry plays into climate change and that um, we're, you know, focused a lot on today anyway on all these um, solutions to it, but, or, you know, kind of the Band-Aid, putting it on afterwards, but the um we just putting a lot more effort into um what we're buying and where it's sourced from and how it's um made and what procedures are used you know that there's a a a responsibility that we have as consumers and what we wear to to look into those things yeah thank you robin you you are underscoring points that were made and also making additional important points that i think are really important and christopher even natural fibers Uh, I think Sarah Everts touched on this, but uh, you had found that Pima cotton was one of the most breathable fabrics, but that it actually uses more water than other types of cotton? That's right. Uh, As as Sarah noted, whatever your metric is, there are challenges here. If your metric is how we create clothing using the least amount of water, then higher quality cotton is problematic. Uh, If you're worried about using petroleum-based products, then polyester and polyethylene are problematic. If you're worried about what happens to your clothing once you're done with it, then polyester is very problematic. So again, there's there's no win. The thing that I I just might note is in reporting this story, what really struck me was most major clothing brands really did not want to engage with me. There was a very huh. remarkable degree of reluctance. And my my best guess is that the clothing industry has been so beaten up on all things climates and environments in recent years that perhaps they feel there's there's not much to gain by talking about this. Um, but your caller is right, of course. The clothing industry is part of the problem in terms of climate change. But I think the thing that I might stress in response is whatever the causes of climate change, you get people around the world who have to do their best to stay as comfortable and as healthy and as safe as possible in this new world. And it's gonna keep getting hotter for some time, whatever we do. So I think the challenge from my perspective is how do we make sure that people, especially those who are most vulnerable and have to be outside, that they can stay as comfortable as possible. And so the one thing that I might also raise is really remarkable to me from this story is if you're a consumer, and you're going to a store looking to buy clothing that will keep you cool, there's really no information that you're going to get from the label of a clothing 
that that will tell you in a clear way mm. whether it's going to succeed at keeping you cool. Even after spending two months reporting this story, I still find it a puzzle to figure out which clothing and which fabrics will do a better job. You sort of have to try them on and then wear them for a while. So I think at a basic level, one of the challenges is just communicating to customers in a reliable and clear way what they're buying and whether it's going to help. And that that seems attainable, but is not the norm now. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a direction we need to go in. Let me go to caller Reese in Oakland. Hi, Reese. Hi. Thanks for um, having this segment. Um, I'm just calling in with a hot tip, if you will, for um, my fellow larger bodied fat people. Um, I have found both living on the very humid East Coast and in the most recent dry heat waves here, um, that compressive tank tops with a shelf bra have been a lifesaver, especially for those larger chested people. Um, I think for me, at least, I run very hot anyways. And keeping all of my skin, not touching any of my other skin, has been the best thing that I could possibly do. Um, and I know a couple of your other uh, guests and also callers have um, touched upon this, but I was wondering if you have any specific tips or tricks for either people who run hot or, you know, fat folks like me who tend to run a little bit hotter um, where our bodies can't necessarily accommodate some of the cooling styles that um, more straight body people can wear. Reese, thanks. Anyone have any tips for Reese? Sarah? I'm a sweaty person. Um, I, uh, I think one of the things that, uh, you know, we have to embrace the sweat a little bit. I think that, you know, in terms of those trade-offs that we were talking about, um, you know, comfort versus actual efficient cooling, I think there's another trade-off in there too, and that's vanity and fashion. I think a lot of um, of, of, of the clothing, right, we're, we're putting on so that it doesn't look like we're sweating, right? Because there's a social stigma to that. And I think that, you know, with the coming climate apocalypse, sweating is, is like the way Way we're going to survive it right <laughs> and so to kind of not worry about how that looks um just writ large i do know though that you know if you sweat a lot and i am a sweaty person and you know you have a lot of skin um which i do you know you get friction and what your caller uh just referenced right trying to keep wet skin from scratching against wet skin that's like anything that that works to do that um is definitely a pro you know, Conrad, that, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Sarah. No, that, never mind. That, 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 that's enough. But that, that, that again is, you know, um, that's separate from the, you know, the, the societal stigma uh, against sweat that I, I do think we're going to have to get over because, frankly, it's the only hope we have of surviving um, the coming apocalypse. <laughs> and I, I absolutely want to dig into that because we're getting a lot of comments, too, about how we need to change culturally or socially as well. But just really quick, Conrad, I do have this question because Reese is making me think about it, which is when you are doing your research, what is the range or diversity of body sizes that you are thinking about with regard to how to create adaptations and better, better cooling products? That, that is a great question. And I think it ties into a lot what Chris has said. And I think one of the reasons why, you know, for example, companies don't exactly tell you when their product might cool you is because they have this, there, there's some reason it might be cooling, but they themselves don't know because there's not a very good platform um, to realistically test them. 
Um, and if that platform exists, that ties into your uh, second comment, it's usually designed for the average, typically male uh, person to simulate it. So in um, my research, in my group, uh, we focus on uh, several aspects of this. And we try to, in uh, many routes, uh, if not physically, then computationally simulate uh how different people, w really the entire <laughs> diversity of U.S. population might experience heat. So, for example, in a recent study, we created 60 different uh, computational mannequins that represent the uh, first to 99th percentile body shapes in uh, U.S. population and see how uh, sun exposure changes with that. Yeah. Uh, Fascinating. Um, well, to your second point, Sarah, about just the way we need to think about sweat. This listener writes, I'm not generally a sweaty person, but I had a Zoom job interview yesterday and developed some major stains under my <laughs> arms. Very embarrassing. Maybe we need to rethink, never let them see you sweat. Christopher, one of the things that we're bringing up is it is very hard if you're an environmentally conscious consumer who is trying to keep cool not to have trade-offs. I mean, this listener, for example, tweets, I struggle to reconcile the high risk of squamous cell carcinomas with the harm caused by the microplastics that my Coolabar UPF clothing releases into the water when I wash it. I'd buy a filter to capture these particles if it could prevent or reduce contamination. So are you seeing, just on the cultural side of things, you said you're going to start to go back to work at the New York Times and they're wanting people to come back into the office. Like, Are you seeing maybe more flexibility in terms of dress codes uh, in, in uh, work environments or maybe, I mean, skirts, flowy skirts, short flowy skirts or long flowy skirts tend to be great. Are we as a society continuing to move towards making a whole range of clothing acceptable for all genders? I don't know if, if any of that came, came up in your reporting. You know, it, I, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a climate reporter, not a fashion reporter, but <laughs> I, I think that adaptation means a lot of things and it includes cultural adaptation. And I think that as conditions get more challenging, just by necessity, our, our views and expectations about what is acceptable are going to have to shift. Uh, and I think that's, you know, it, it's going to be choppy. It's probably going to be slower than it should. But I think inevitably, uh, if current styles of dress uh, are putting people at risk of heat-related injury, I think those strictures are going to relax. But I think the question is, do they relax for everyone? And can we find a way to do it such that those who, you know, don't have perhaps the, the, the luxury of being in offices can take advantage of it too. But over time, yes, I think the answer is going to be, we will shift our expectations around clothing in line with our changing environments, but how fast do we do it? No one knows. Sarah, I, I love that you had the story about traditions of German weddings. Can you share that tradition? Yeah, sure. Oh my gosh. Uh, in, in Germany, uh, they do not believe in air conditioned, uh, in air conditioning almost anywhere. Um, I lived there 12 years. I was just there this summer and reminded of that. But at German weddings, there's this tradition that if you are a person wearing a suit, typically a guy, um, you cannot take off 
your suit jacket at a summer wedding until the groom or grooms have taken off their suit jackets. And I've been at so many summer weddings uh, in Berlin where uh, you're sitting at a table and all the dudes are, are grumbling because they're like, when is the groom going to take off his jacket? I'm dying here. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I say take it all off. <laughs> Yeah, maybe that's a cultural tradition that might need to be rethought. Yeah. Sarah Everett's book is The Joy of Sweat, The Strange Science of Perspiration. Conrad Rykachowski is Associate Professor and Senior Global Future Scientist at Arizona State University. Christopher, Christopher Flavel is Climate Adaptation Reporter for The New York Times. And you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me share a few more comments. John writes, when I backpack in the Sierras in the summer, I like a white dress shirt from the thrift store that is a size or two too big. Pop the collar, splash some stream water when you have a chance. Kathleen writes, my go-to clothing during these high temp days has been loose fitting dresses, linen and silk and fabrics designed for SPF blocking, basically for the office as little as I can get away with. Leslie writes, what about linen? I love linen and I think it takes little water to grow. Another listener asks, what about hemp? So anyone want to weigh in on those? I remember, Christopher, you said that the suits with linen were way more expensive. So linen is great, except for the fact that I guess it's got to get a little cheaper. <laughs> yeah, you know, I love I love the linen example because linen is really good, but it, I find it wrinkles more. And mm. so speaking of cultural citations, are we okay with shirts that are wrinkled and suits that are wrinkled? And I just don't know the answer. I tried a hemp shirt for this story. Uh, it was 55 hemp, 45 cotton. It was just just not comfortable at all or cooling. So I think, you know, there's some trial and error that has to happen on this, but yeah, there's a, a world of fabrics. And my hope as a consumer is over time, clothing manufacturers and designers will get better at this. Let me go to Barbara in San Francisco. Hi, Barbara. Oh, hello. I'm retired. So fortunately I no longer have to dress professionally. Um, but I am, uh, because of, of age into a high dehydration risk category. Um, it gets to be about 100 on the second floor now. I've lived mm. in the city for decades, and this is crazy weather, and I had to, I had to install air conditioning. Um, what I found was, believe it or not, silk thermal underwear to wear when I'm at home and also a very loosely fitted little uh, jammy top, actually, a pajama top, because I don't have to present myself to anyone. And it's helped me keep cool in these perilous times for us who are getting up in age. Well, thanks for sharing that tip, and I'm glad you found something that works for you, Barbara. Maxwell writes, when inside I wear a wet singlet, it draws heat from the body to dry out in the same manner as sweating. It provides comfortable, effective cooling for two hours. This enables me to avoid using air conditioning and saving money and reducing pressure on the grid. Let me go to Lawrence in Berkeley. Hi, Lawrence. Hi there. So uh, I've had a 50-year career at NASA, actually mathematical oh. modeling. Uh, spacesuits and people in spacesuits and people in clothing and in all kinds of extreme weather uh, from space to normal. And uh, we we learned one thing early on, because back in the early days of uh, NASA spaceflight, we almost killed a couple of astronauts by trying to cool them down with air in a spacesuit. And that's because the amount of heat you can remove in high humidity uh, is very limited. 
And, uh, and the solution turned out to be something very simple. It's called a liquid cooling garment. It looks like a pair of long johns. It's got these little tubes, and water circulates through the tubes. And you control the water temperature. And it's kind of like uh, being in a shower uh, with, but not getting wet, you, you know, you're being cooled. And so it, the physiology of it is that in order to sweat, and I've been listening to a lot of the comments that your listeners made about sweat, Let's get very clear about this. In order to sweat, you have to elevate your body temperature. Your core temperature must go up. That's the signal that starts you sweating. Once that happens, you know, all kinds of bad things happen. You lose electrolytes. You lose fluids. You're uncomfortable. So the notion of being able to be cooled by sweat is the body's last resort. Exclamation point. There's, that's it. So there's all an right. alternative. And the the alternative is called conductive cooling. Conductive cooling means instead of removing heat to the air, you remove it to a cool substance like water that's placed against the skin. Now, the embodiment of this you can see on every single football game because uh, on the sidelines you'll notice that there's a fine mist that's always spraying. And players can walk through this mist because the water cools them conductively immediately. And uh, you don't have to drive your, your core temperature up. Well, thank you, uh, that, Lawrence. That, that and is, let me go I to Sarah. Actually, yeah, that that cool that cool mist is actually just effectively synthetic sweat. Um, but you make a really good point because Gene Cernan, um, in his like first Gemini spacewalk, nearly died because he he overheated and he he got so hot his. Uh, his what do you call it not the helmet but the, the his head device got steamed up and he he couldn't get back oh. um and it took him hours so yeah it is it is dangerous in a spacesuit but uh but so yeah if i jump can jump right in. so actually I've, I've worked on liquid cool uh garments too and i, I want to mention that uh they're no longer just uh, stuff of nasa but you can buy one the other day i found it on walmart website um, and there, you can build one probably for about $50. The problem is that you need to, rem it removes the heat, but you need to still dump the heat somewhere from the body. So you, for example, a wearable, part of that is wearing a, a backpack filled with ice where that slowly melts, the water passes through it. Um, so they, they do exist, but they yeah. do, again, weigh a little bit. Well, this has been exciting, and I bet, Christopher, when you set out to report on this, you didn't realize what you were getting into. Neither did I in this hour, and it's so great. Thank you, Christopher Flavel of The New York Times. Thank you, Conrad Rykajewski of Arizona State University and Sarah Everts of Carleton University. And my thanks to Caroline Smith for producing today's segment and all of our listeners for all of their contributions to today's conversation. Stay cool, all of you, in every sense of that word. Have a great weekend. This is Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts. 
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.